Church family, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Philippians this morning, specifically Philippians chapter 4 as we come to the conclusion of our sermon series this fall through the book of Philippians. We've been on this journey walking with the Apostle Paul in these four chapters. We come now to verses 14 through 23 of Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 uh, through 23. It's hard to believe that this Thursday is Thanksgiving. I know that sounds trite and cliche-ish, but it just, this year is going by so quickly. And that Thanksgiving is upon us and the first Sunday of Advent is next week. I look back and say what many of you maybe are saying is where has this year gone I look forward to Thanksgiving. It is one of my favorite times just to be able to be with family. I like Thanksgiving for a variety of reasons. Maybe many of the reasons that you like, the food and the food and the food. Uh, it's, a, it's a good... I think that's God speaking to us right there. <laughs> I'm going to be silent and, and, and here I am, servant, speak to me. Okay, so I don't know we have something crossed up there, but maybe that's a better sermon than what you would hear right here. So I, I wanted to give a full opportunity. So there is something about Thanksgiving that really is life-giving in so many ways. I mean, just for us to be able to pause as a country, as a nation, individually, as a family, and to say these two words that are two powerful words, thank you, thank you. As we gather with friends, as we gather with family this Thursday to be able to pause and to, to be able to think of all that we have that is gift, all that we have that is by His grace and through His grace is a gift to us. And I pray that we will not waste Thanksgiving, that we will uh, not uh, pause and, and truly embrace the very gift of, of gratitude and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be able to stop and to express that gratitude for what he is doing and what he has done in our lives. Thank you, that is a powerful phrase. Whether a boss tells you that, whether a friend tells you that, whether someone comes alongside of you and, and you open up your mail and, and there's a thank you note. I, I have a whole, a whole drawer in my office of, of thank you notes. I can't get rid of them because they're just so life-giving. So absolutely encouraging. Uh, many of you in the sanctuary have written me those kinds of notes. And, and I hold on to them because they're so deeply encouraging. There is something about when you're the recipient of, of someone's gratitude, when, when someone says thank you or you are writing thank you to someone else, that, that we really walk in the way of our Savior because all we have, all we are is ultimately a, a gift of His grace. I think it's important for us to remember this, the power of thank you, especially as we come now to the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Because one thing that emerges really, really clearly is that one of the reasons Paul is writing this letter is to be able to say two words to the Christians at Philippi. You know what those two words are? Thank you. Thank you. Read with me. Don't just take my word for it here. He says, verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, not, not one church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then it's as if Paul says, ah, P.S. I've got some more things to say here. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Sometimes it's hard to end a letter, especially one that is overflowing with affection. So you have two endings right here. You have the amen and the two verses that come after the amen. That really the conclusion to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Now, the church that he's writing to in Philippi, ultimately is writing these concluding remarks to, and it's easy for us to write them off as just passing comments that really don't have weight, not the, not the weight that has come before it. We, we hear someone in a presentation or even a sermon say, and in conclusion, and people start looking at their watch, they start gathering up their belongings, they start texting one another, saying, where are we going to go eat, all those kinds of things, because you just kind of think after you hear, and in conclusion, we're just, we're just tying up the loose ends. We're just wrapping things up here. Nothing really to see here, nothing to hear here, but you would be remiss. You would ultimately be wronged if you thought that this conclusion were just the Apostle Paul sort of gently landing the plane without a whole lot of travel left before him. There's much for us to hold on to when the the Apostle Paul is is writing these thank you uh, letter uh, to the Christians there in Philippi. So let's kind of look over his shoulder. Let's look over his shoulder and, and be reminded of why he's writing this thank you note. It's the bottom line here. It's one of the reasons that he writes the book is just to say thank you for your gospel partnership. You see it in verses 15 through 16. It's as if the Apostle Paul is looking back and he's sort of nostalgic. He goes back to what we read of in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas, there come to Philippi and there, there's not a Jewish synagogue there. So they go down to the river and there are these God-fearing women. Uh, Lydia was there and they're praying to the Lord and, and this is going to be the incubational start of the church at Philippi. There's going to be a slave girl who uh, this demon is exercised by the Apostle Paul. And the owners of that slave girl are furious because their, their commerce, the way that they made money, is, is stopped in that moment of her freedom. And so they beat Paul. They beat Silas. They throw him into jail. God breaks them out of jail. The Philippian jailer is saved. These are the people. When you're looking through the pictorial directory of, of the church at Philippi who, who were there, those early Christians. And Paul says, I remember from the very beginning that you came alongside of me, that we shared in this together. We had this partnership. Even when I left, none of the other churches in Macedonia supported me. We went down to Thessalonica and we, we worked there for weeks. And guess who was supporting Paul? Guess who was supporting Silas? You know who it was? This church, the church of Philippi. Not because they had this uh, abundance of, of surplus in their church budget, because they believed in the very mission of God. In this man, the Apostle Paul, taking the, the gospel to the nations here. And it says, Paul is saying to them and saying to us, there, there, there is something about this partnership that we need not forget. And what is that? Well, notice these three truths here that Paul gives us in these verses. The first is that giving, it expands our ministry reach. 
Notice again in verses 14 through 16 the, the commonality of the words that Paul is using here that tie his thought together. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me and giving and receiving except you only. So there's a partnership. They're sharing together. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And now Paul is writing from where? He's writing in Rome. Not in Thessalonica. He's writing in Rome. You know how far Rome is from Philippi? It's approximately 750 miles away. So Paul is saying, from where I was 750 miles ago, all the way through this journey that has gotten me to prison here in Rome, guess what? You have been with me. You've partnered with me. You've, you've shared in the gospel with me. He's writing them because Epaphroditus has come on the scene. And guess what Epaphroditus is doing? He is bringing, he is bringing this care package. From where? From whom? Well, from Philippi, from the Philippian believers. Now, we don't know a whole lot about what it looked like exactly to be a prisoner in Rome. But we do know this, that there was no state system that provided all the meals for the inmates there in this house arrest that Paul is inhabiting here in Rome. You know how, you know how they were cared for? The benevolence of friends and family members. The, the, the care and the love of people that would literally go to the place and provide food and provide supplies. And Paul says, thank you, church, for sending Epaphroditus all the way from Philippi because I got your gift and I'm well supplied. How did that happen? It's the grace of God, the providence of God, but it is the means of these believers pulling their resources to partner with the Apostle Paul in the spread of the gospel. This is what Paul is saying thank you for. And don't miss this. That in 2021, while we might not be supporting the Apostle Paul in his work in Rome, we continue to do the very thing the Apostle Paul is writing about here. Don't miss this truth. That if you, you are a member here at Dawson, or maybe you're visiting, you're a member of another church, that what Paul is writing about here, this, this gospel partnership, this sharing, is something that if you are a member and you're giving of your time, you're giving of your resources, you know what? You're following in the very footsteps of the Philippian believers that Paul says thank you to. Ministry is expanded when we as Christians give of our time, we give of our talents, we give of our treasures. There's no other way around it. Do you, do you know how the gospel is spread to the uttermost parts of the earth? It is men and women who are called by God to serve in places. Over this last month, I've had the privilege on the phone or via email or in person to be able to, to hear reports of some of the mission partners that when you give in and through this church, you're supporting their work. Uh, in China, in Jordan, in Turkey, in Amsterdam. Uh, not all of us, maybe none of us in this sanctuary have been to all of those places, working with all of these partners. But maybe you've not been to Jordan. Maybe you've not been to China. Maybe you've not been to Amsterdam. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never been to Turkey. But if you, if you give of the resources God has entrusted you, guess what? You're a part of that work. Every one of those individuals or those families that sat with me, one of the first things they said was, thank you, thank you, and thank your church for the faithful partnership in the gospel. 
And so I'm here to say to you on behalf of mission partners across the world, thank you. Thank you for your faithful ministry. We have mission partners, church planners in Colorado. We have mission partners in Maine. We have church planners in in Jacksonville, Alabama, and and also in in Tuskegee, Alabama. And guess what? I stand before you. Maybe you've been to some of those places. Maybe you've never been to any of those places. But if you give of your resources, you're a part of that work. Why? Because while none of us in this room can be in all of those places at the same time, But through our giving, we're able to expand the reach, to multiply ministry that is far beyond any of our individual callings. We're all a part of to be able to be a part of something far more than us individually. And that, that's exciting. That the work of this church is is far beyond just us gathering on Sunday morning but it really has a global and a national reach. And if we can think about the work here in the Learning Center, Kids Connection, or other ministries that we support right here in, in the Birmingham metro area that you volunteer and you're a part of, or maybe you haven't been a part of that uh, through your volunteering of your time. But if you give, you are a part of those ministries here. This morning, we had four that were baptized in the first service. We had two college students that were baptized in the last service here. We have hundreds of children children, preschoolers, babies, elementary school. Uh, We have middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students and adults, and they've met all across this campus with women and men who love the Word of God, who are life group leaders, a part of life groups that care for one another. And, and, And if you are here and you're a member of this church and you give of the resources that God has entrusted to you, you're a part of something that is far greater then what you can do alone, what I could do alone, what any of us could do alone, we're a part of the family of God. And the reach of this church is a reach that goes right outside of this door, but it goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. We look back over 97 years, and the heartbeat of this church is to be found faithful as God's people. And one of the ways that we do that, like those Philippian believers, is saying we're going to give to the mission of God, in and through this local church, out of guilt? No. Out of shame? No. Because we believe in the mission. And each of us here can look around and to see how how we're blessed to be a part of a church that's bigger than any of us in our own strength, in our own interest, in our own pursuit. Giving expands your ministry reach. It expands my ministry reach. Given also, according to verse 17, is an eternal investment. Notice what Paul says. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's an interesting nuance here. Paul is writing a thank you note to the church that has been supporting him for, for this, this symbolic of 750 miles between Philippi and Rome and all of this ministry that he's done. But he's careful to avoid the wrong impression. Do you notice that, what he's doing with his words? He's not manipulating them. He's not trying to butter them up here. He is interested in them accruing a spiritual reward that God has promised to them through their faithful giving. Notice the imagery that Paul uses. This is metaphor here of a fruit that increases to their credit. What is the fruit that increases to their credit? It's this heavenly reward that's growing like a fruitful orchard. This is what Paul is talking about here. If he was using not an agrarian image, but he was using 
an image, maybe it's closer to us. He might talk about how you could buy stock into a company or Amazon or Apple or Disney, and, and you share in the growth of that company. By analogy, Paul is saying that when we give, we're storing up eternal dividends, not here on earth, but rather in heaven. It's not just Paul's words. It's not just Paul's words. Paul is channeling the very words of our Savior Jesus when he talks to his disciples and all of the crowd that would listen on the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why, Jesus? Why? Don't lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up. You see it on the screen. Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian here this morning, there's a truth about generosity that you need to live into. You need to understand that we will not reap in heaven what we don't invest here on earth. We store up treasures in heaven investing in the eternal work of the Lord while here on earth. And every believer, every believer is called to invest in the work of the Lord in and through a local body of believers. Every one of us are called to do that, to support the spread of the gospel. And when we do this, there is a wonderful return that is, that is always inflation-proof. And that's good news of eternal dividends. Don't miss this. Don't don't miss what Jesus so clearly teaches. Don't miss what Paul so clearly teaches, that there is a joy of obedience by giving. And there is a promise of eternal reward that is promised of our giving. And it leads to these culminating words here that Paul would give us. Not not only reminding us that giving expands our ministry reach, not only reminding us that giving is an eternal investment, but notice the, the wonderful crescendo of a promise that he gives us here. Not in a throwaway line in his concluding remarks, but he, he reminds us that giving connects us to God's providential care. There's so many verses in the book of Philippians that just stand out. And they demand our attention. They, they demand our memorization. They demand us walking in and living through. And, and this is one of these words. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 22, our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now there's a who and a what of this promise. Notice the who of this promise. Who does Paul promise? will supply our every need. Paul? No. An angelic messenger? No. The body of Christ there in Philippi or the body of Christ there in Rome? No. Now he might use, God might use the body of Christ. He might use his angelic messengers to come alongside of us. But what Paul is saying here is something that we need to hold on to, that my God, Paul says, will supply every need of yours. That the providential care of every child of God is not outsourced to any messenger of God. It is is God himself that takes responsibility for your providential care. That there's nothing that is a need of yours that is too small to be outside of the domain and responsibility of the creator and sustainer of the universe. You are in good hands. 
choir so beautifully. Some before I came here to preach, our Father, and it's just this reminder from the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer that, that we are able to talk to God in these intimate, intimate titles. Our Father, Abba. The one who is transcendent, the one that is holy, removed. He is uh, sinless and perfect. That you're able to address Him, Daddy, Father, with this intimate tenderness. This is what God is telling us in his word, that if we have financial and mental and physical and health and relational needs, that God is concerned about it. And God has promised to us that that he is caring, consistent, and he is a capable father who will not leave you in a lurch, who will not leave you alone, who will not leave you in a place to say, hey, figure out what you're going to do with it. No, no. We, we have a father who has promised to us to meet our every need. 16 years ago, this December, Danielle and I had the privilege of, of leaving Singer River Hospital with a, with a non-pound baby named Hayden. And I tell you, if, if you're a parent here, all of us are going to have a, a different moment in, in parenthood where the weight of responsibility, it just comes upon us. And it wasn't after Danielle gave birth and I held Hayden for the first time and I locked eyes with him. It wasn't that moment. It wasn't the moment of the first night there in the hospital room, rocking him as he, as he cries, seeing Danielle care so faithfully for him as, as a mother. It wasn't that moment. It was the moment, uh, you know, the, the next day or two days later where we're leaving. We go down the long hallway and the nurse is escorting us to our vehicle. And I pull up and we've got the car seat there and we take the baby and put the baby, Hayden, nine pounds right there into the car seat and lock him. And I say to the nurse, now you're coming with us, right? And You've been there. If you're a dad, you've been there if you're a mom. And it was something about that moment. Something about driving away from the hospital. Danielle and I holding hands and realizing that his every life and breath is he, he he's ours. We're responsible for him. Now, surprise, surprise, your pastor is an imperfect father. All of us are imperfect fathers. Every mother that is here, no matter how much you love and cherish your children, no matter how faithfully you care for your children, you're not inexhaustible in your perfection and your resources. The thing about parenthood is you realize how fallible you are. But in contrast, In beautiful contrast, in light of our fallibility, in light of our limited resources, whether it's emotional or intellect or, or financial resources, that we have a God who is our Father who promises to us that He assumes responsibility of your needs. And unlike us, He does it perfectly. Now, what does He promise? This is the who. My God. What's the what? That God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Do you notice the staggering scope of this promise? Do you notice that Paul doesn't, uh, he doesn't hedge his bets here. He doesn't say, God may provide. God might 
provide. Simply, he, he will. It's a, it's a guarantee here. Now, we can misuse this passage. You can take it out of its context, make it a pretext, make it say things that it was never intended to say. We always read Scripture in light of the whole counsel of God. So this passage is not a passage that we take out as an invitation to laziness or irresponsibility or foolishness. That would be misreading this passage. The Bible and the whole counsel of God, it commends hard work and responsibility and prudence and saving and wisdom. All of that. Notice that he says he will supply our needs, not our whims and our wants and our wishes. There is a difference, isn't it? God's not up there as a, as a genie in heaven waiting for you to rub him in, in prayer so that he would come out and grant all of your wishes. That's, that's not what this passage is saying here. This isn't a blank check to health, wealth, and prosperity. That's not what this passage is about. It's about something far greater, church. A far greater assurance that we have a heavenly Father who desires to meet all of our needs. And we have needs. Much of life is, is, is going through life realizing the difference between needs and desires, needs and wants. But our needs at a deep, basic level of, of, of provision emotionally and relationally and physically and spiritually, Paul tells us, guess what? God is concerned about that. He's responsible for that. There's an endless store to draw from him. He's a well that never runs dry. He's an account that never gets overdrawn. This is the promise of God to you and to me, to any of us who would hear the word of God and are followers of him. But notice that this promise is predicated on a premise of faithful giving. We miss this. We want to claim a promise of verse 19 and ignore verses 14 through 18. We want to claim the promise while ignoring all that preceded it here. We want, we want verse 19. But verses 14 through 18 is all of God's word talking about the Philippian believers so faithfully and generously and cheerfully giving to support the work of the Lord. And God says, test me in this. You, you cannot outgive me. You just can't. Test me in this. Be generous with your resources. Be generous with your time. Be generous with the talents that God has given you. Be generous with the gifts that God has given to you. And there is a blessing that is promised within his very word. We cannot split apart what God has, has joined together in Scripture here. And this promise and this premise, they go together here. It is a reminder of what Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what? And all of these things, all of these things will be added unto you. He will never, never leave you alone in a need. But the question is, what's your posture? The question is, is this Sunday before Thanksgiving, how are you walking through life? And there's some of us that have a posture with all that we have, all of the resources, and we hold them like this, like, like Ebenezer Scrooge close to our chest and say they're mine, mine, mine. Every last bit of it. Don't take it from me. It's mine. Close fist. And God in his word says, if you want to walk in obedience, if 
You want to receive the blessing that I've promised, the obedience and joy to meet every one of your needs. You, you have to open your hands and realize all that we have is a gift. But we hold it loosely, knowing it's not ours. All that we have is His. Will we be found faithful now as stewards of the time that we have? The immense spiritual gifts that are represented in this room, will we be found faithful with the resources financially that He's given to us? And, and when we are, He says to us, I will meet every one of your needs. So I ask you, closed hands or open? Let us pray.